Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. I came across this quote by Dallas Willard. He was a professor of philosophy. He was a Christian, an author, wrote prolifically, very well known. He died about 10 years ago. And here's what he said. He was putting into words the questions that maybe Christians might have. It is good news to know that when I die, all will be well. But is there any good news for this life? If I had to choose, I would rather have a car that runs than good insurance on one that doesn't. Can I not have both? I like the way he put that, right? I would rather have a car that runs, right? A life that works, that goes, than good insurance on another. And what he's, what he's concerned about is what he called barcode, a barcode gospel, and it was this, that, um, that we could have a form of Christianity, and as uh, people who are Protestant, we can be guilty of this, that we, we, we uh, preach and teach that we are saved by grace, through faith, apart from our works, right? We, we talk about that all the time, and what happens is that it might be like the barcode at the grocery store, in which um, the, the barcode for the potatoes actually, you know, it gets put on the cereal box, and it, the computer knows no difference. It's like, boop, potatoes. It's like, no, that's cereal, right? But it's, it, it, that God would be the big scanner in the sky, and you say, well, you know, I prayed that prayer that one time. Boop, you're in. And in the defending of the doctrine, which is pure and right doctrine, okay, that we could miss the point that our Christianity is not just about the scanner in the sky, heaven to come, but it's actually eternal life that begins at the very moment that you are born again by faith in Jesus Christ. Something happens. It's newness of life. Romans chapter 6 this is what Paul is talking about. I'm going to read this together, and uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. And here's what Paul says. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Meaning Christians who have received this good news about Jesus, but nothing changes. Just continue in the sin. And as long as the barcode in the sky says that we're good, then we're good. Here's what he says to that. Absolutely not, exclamation point. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we've been talking about, by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our 
old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse seven, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, what we're talking about, he will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, we're almost done. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God in all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is God's word. So Paul is addressing the same concern that Dallas Willard was talking about, that we would have a Christianity that makes no difference in our life, that we could functionally live like dead people. I would say to you today that the, um, the low condition of Christianity in the West is not about atheistic evolution, it's not about liberalism or secularism or any of the isms that you can think of. I think probably the greatest uh, hindrance to a flourishing and thriving church in the West is that in some way we have uh, settled for a Christianity that does not change us. And Paul's saying, absolutely not. Not us. Not us. In Revelation chapter 3, there's uh, some letters to the churches. It's a fascinating part of the Bible. If you've never read this, you should go. Revelation chapter 3, the resurrected reigning Jesus. It says he's got fire in his eyes. He's, he's speaking to John, and he says this to the church at Sardis. He says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Be alert, strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Meaning, you're not, you say you're alive, you think the barcode is scanning, yep, they're good, right? But no, 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 you're dead, and your works are lacking. He's calling them to a Christianity that changes them, that changes their lives. So, I want to spend a few minutes talking about what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us in light of what we just read. Because Paul repeats in the passage that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that you and I are alive. So let's talk about that together. The, the first thing is this. The resurrection of Christ means that life is truly available to you. Let me say it again. The resurrection of Christ means that life is truly available to you. That thing in you that wants life, that wants to live, that's available to you only because of Jesus' resurrection. 
In John uh, chapter 1, verse 4, John was a close friend of Jesus, one of his closest followers. He was in what we call the, the inner three, Peter, James, and John. They were very close disciples of Jesus. And here's what John writes about him, about Jesus. He says, in him was life. In him was life. And that life was the light of man. That's what he said about him. In Verses three and four of what we just read, Paul talks to us about baptism. By the way, we're gonna have a baptism here on Mother's Day, May 14th. If you have never been baptized, if you've never made a profession of your faith in baptism, we want to join with you and celebrate that. We're gonna, we're gonna have a big celebration around that. We're gonna bring a trough out here. We're gonna fill it with, we're gonna try to make it warm water. We can't promise that, but it's, it'll, might be lukewarm. I don't know, we'll see. But it's going to be fine, okay? And we're going to baptize on May 14th. You can go to rin-church.org slash baptism or sign up on the app. Let us know that you want to be a part of that. But Paul talks about baptism, and he tells us that when we're baptized, it's like we're being lowered into a watery grave. It's like we are being lowered into this place with Jesus where we're, we're joining him in his death so that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, right, as we lift out of that water, that we are coming to new life. We're, we're united with him in his resurrection life. And he says this, so that we too may walk in newness of life. And I was thinking about the word may. Students, when you're in school, you, you probably are taught to use the word may or may I, right? You say, may I go to the bathroom? And what you're not asking is, am I able, physically able to go to the bathroom? Yes, you already are physically able to go to the bathroom, right? But you're asking, can I leave this room and go to the room where we're supposed to do that, right, in the appropriate place, and will you allow me to go do that? And then the teacher says, yes, you may, and she's enabling you to do that. The resurrection of Jesus has enabled you to walk in newness of life. You may walk in newness of life. To walk is to be able to choose to take a step, to move from one place to another, to make progress, to regulate one's own life, to move from one step to another step, right? It, it's action, it's movement, it's progress. And when we talk about the newness of life, I, I don't want you to hear me saying, here's the magic wand of Jesus, and it's just like magic wand, and then boom, newness of life. No, he's saying that we may walk in newness of life, meaning that you and I will make choices, we'll make decisions, we will regulate our own lives, and we are able to do that. We've been enabled by the resurrection power of Jesus to do that differently now because he's alive. We may walk in newness of life. He's telling us that we can walk in a way that's actually fully alive. And I think this is important. 
Because the gospel that we proclaim is absolutely about forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus did. It is not a gospel of works, like, you know, climb the ladder to Jesus kind of a gospel. The gospel says that Jesus came down the ladder to earth, bore the cross for you and for me. He rose again on the third day to prove that he truly was the son of God. And when we put our faith in him, we, we bow ourselves at the feet of Jesus that he receives us and he cleanses us and he washes us and he makes us new on the inside. That's what, that's what it means, the gospel. Absolutely about forgiveness. But if you do that or you think you do that and nothing changes in your life, I would say maybe you, maybe you gave mental assent to some ideas, you changed your opinions about God, but you have not experienced the grace of Jesus. Because when you do, it changes the way we walk. We walk in a new way. We may walk in newness of life. It's a gospel of life. Do you really want a faith that secures you for heaven but has no power to change you today? No, I, I don't. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that they might have, what? Life. And what about that life? Life more abundantly. They could have an overabundance to the maximum life. Jesus's offer to you is not only forgiveness, which it is forgiveness, but it's life. He's come to give us life, to enable us to walk in a way that is in accordance with the newness of life that God has given to us. Life is truly available to you. The second thing is this. Paul makes this case. He begins to use the language of kingdom and domain, and it's this. You can live from a new domain. You can live from a new domain. Now, here's the thing. Some people define sin as the fun stuff you're not supposed to do anymore. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? When you go to the restaurant and they have chocolate sin cake, right? And you're like, oh, that sounds good. Chocolate sin cake, right? It's dark, but it's delicious. Um, <laughs> it breaks the commands of your diet, okay? That's what that sin, you're sinning against your diet. We, we're playful with the word sin sometimes. Verse six, here's what Paul says about it. For we know that our old self, like the, the old man, the old life, was crucified with him so that the body, here's the word he used, ruled by sin, might be rendered powerless so that we may not, no longer be enslaved to sin. Ruled and enslaved. That's the language of dominion. And he's saying, look, apart from Jesus, sin's not this playful, fun thing that you're not supposed to do. It's your master. It rules you. 
It is, it is over your life. It's overshadowing you. It's controlling you. It's dominating you. You must do its bidding. You are enslaved. That's what he's saying. See, the Bible defines sin as the stuff that breaks God's commands, thus separating us from the source of life robbing us of life, enslaving us, ruining everything, and harming ourselves and others. Every social problem on the planet, open your newsfeed today, and I can guarantee you every single one of them is absolutely related to man's sin. Every one of them, without a doubt. All of it. Greed, lust, violence, anger, wrath, malice, gossip, slander, all of it. It's all related to sin. It ruins everything. So it's not the fun little thing that we get to play around with, but we're not supposed to. It's like literally, no, this wants to dominate you. It wants to destroy you. I was uh, listening to a podcast by... uh, Eric Metaxas, and he has a guy on there. I think his last name is spelled, or it's pronounced Ganida, Keith Ganida. And he's, he's in a ministry in the Philippines. The ministry is called, um, gosh, I can't think of the name of the, the ministry. It's a trafficking ministry. And on this one strip in the Philippines, there are 12,000 beautiful young girls that have been enslaved, and they're being trafficked on this one strip. And it's where Americans and other people go on vacation for this very reason. It's very sad. And um, he goes with other um, Christian men and women, and he said they spend a couple hours in worship because he said, we just have to get our hearts right. He's like, there's no way you're going to walk into that and not feel temptation in your flesh unless you are clothed in the Holy Spirit of God. There's just no way. He says, and then we go in there, And he says, and we look around, and he goes, it's just heartbreaking because nobody's happy. He said, the bartender, the girls that are dancing, the the madams that are there, he goes, everybody is miserable. And here's the quote that he said. It just kind of stung me when he said it. He said, only Satan can build a kingdom where everyone is miserable. Only Satan can build a kingdom where, where everyone is miserable. And Paul's saying, look, this stuff... It's death. It's robbing you. It's misery. In, in verse 6 and 7, he, he tells us, though, that, that there's this change that has happened, and a person who has died is freed from sin, meaning that when you die to something, you're no longer it's, uh, you're no under its domain. So, for example, if you die and you owe the government money, I'm dead. I mean, there's not much I can do about that, Right? They can't jail you for not paying them because what? You're dead, (laughs) right? You're no longer obligated. You're no longer under its jurisdiction. And here's what he's saying is, look, when you have gone, like we talked about in our series before Easter, to die for, when we take things to the cross, when we we take our lives to the cross of Jesus, we died to our old man, our sinful way, and it's like it doesn't have jurisdiction over us anymore. We don't have to obey it anymore in Jesus' name. Isn't that awesome? You're no longer ruled. You're no longer enslaved. 
In fact, it's become, here's the word he used, powerless to you. No power over you. In verses 8 through 11, he tells us that Christ died once for all and that now he lives. And he uses this phrase, so you too also consider yourselves, what? Dead to sin and alive to God. Don't let it reign in your body, he says. Don't obey it any longer because sin will not rule over you. Again, it's lordship. A lord rules over you. And here's the whole point he's making. New lord, new kingdom. New lord, new dominion. That we've been transferred out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. What he's describing is an internal shift in which you and I today can walk and live from a new domain where we're no longer enslaved, where we're no longer uh, lorded over, but rather we're alive and we're free. The third thing that I want to point out to us is this. This is so important. Because of the resurrection of Christ, you can live functionally, fully alive. Has anyone ever used the word dysfunctional before about your own life? Maybe about your own family, the family you came from, right? Um, as we jokingly say, we put the fun in dysfunctional, um, right? That's a bad joke because we know dysfunctionality is not fun, but we, we jokingly say we put the fun in dysfunctional, <laughs> What, what Paul does here is that he's not allowing his readers to categorize this new spiritual life as a feeling. And, and here's, here's how we know that. In, in verse 12, he says, don't let that old way, don't let sin reign in your what? Mortal body. Do you know what he's talking about? our physical bodies. So he's, he's taking this newness of life that we might think, oh, that's just this spiritual platitude. It's just something we feel on the inside. But in reality, we just kind of live like the rest of the world. He says, no, no, don't let it rain. Where? In your physical body. He takes it out of the, you know, the, the ethereal world and brings it down into the concreteness of our physical lives. And he says, I don't want you to let it rain there. And then in verse 13, he clarifies, do not offer any parts of your physical body, right, to sin as a weapon, an instrument, or a tool of unrighteousness. Now, that word righteousness can be a little bit confusing. Here's what it means. Righteousness is the state of one as they ought to be. It's, what, it's how things ought to be. Righteousness. Right? It's, it could, it's a condition in which we are acceptable to God because we are in the state that we ought to be, which, by the way, is a life fully alive in Jesus Christ. That's how you ought to be. So he says, if, if you're going to continue in that, what you're doing is you're, you're allowing sin to weaponize your members of your body for unrighteousness as things ought not to be. For example... If sin dominates us and we are loose with our mouths 
guess what's gonna happen? Your mouth is gonna be weaponized and it's gonna create problems and it's gonna create situations that ought not to be. Amen? Right? If, you, if you're having a problem with your temper, right, and you physically go after somebody, you're going to use the parts of your body to create something that ought not to be. If you have children, right? Sometimes you know about this. We, we weaponize the parts of our bodies, lust, immorality, gossip, using our tongue in a way that would create something that ought not to be. We're weaponized for unrighteousness. And he says, look, there's a newness of life in which we're gonna walk differently. And here's what's gonna happen. The things that used to be used to tear other people down are gonna be used to build them up. The hands that used to be used to, to strike or to show anger is gonna be used to heal now. The feet that used to carry you into all the stuff that you shouldn't do are gonna to begin to carry you into all the things that you should do now because something has changed and the, the new life of God is, is inside of you and you're making decisions differently now and you're gonna use the parts of your body as weapons, instruments, and tools for righteousness to make things as they ought to be. Wow, that's powerful. Newness of life. I, uh, I've experienced that in my own life. The very mouth that I'm using right now to speak to you is a mouth that used to be used for cursing and cussing, mocking. And now, by, by the resurrection power of Jesus, my mouth is being used to communicate the word of God to you. Why? Because that's the power of Jesus in a life. Did you know that when I was younger, I used to stutter like crazy? I mean, really. There were certain words and phrases I could not say. I would just stammer and stutter. And what happened is I got invited onto a worship team and I began to sing worship songs. And as I was singing, I realized I was no longer stuttering or stammering just by singing worship. It's like God was just rewiring some stuff that had been a weapon of unrighteousness. He was rewiring it so that it could be used as a weapon of righteousness. That's the power of the resurrection of Jesus in your life. God wants to use you as his instrument to make things how they ought to be. Now, here's the thing. I'm not perfect but because Jesus is alive, I'm functional, okay? I used to be really dysfunctional, but I've been making some different choices because Jesus is alive in my life, and now I'm functional. It's an amazing thing. We can be people who bring the life of God down into the actual parts of our bodies. We can begin to live in a functional way because we're not under that old domain. We are under the new domain of Jesus. I love this quote from Dallas Willard. Another one he said, the way to get as many people as possible into heaven is to get heaven into many, as many people as possible. The way to get as many people as possible into heaven 
is to get heaven into as many people as possible. Here's what he's saying. When you and I, as the followers of Christ, the ones that believe in him, begin to walk in the newness of life, and heaven begins to be manifest in our lives, we become an instrument, a weapon of righteousness that God uses to bring more people into his kingdom. Because I think, maybe, the powerless state that we face is not about a powerless gospel, but it's about people who have not allowed it to change their lives. So, friends, yes, we'd rather have a car that runs than good insurance on one that doesn't. We can have both. Eternal life forever. And newness of life now. But let's talk about how. Let's talk about how. Um, there's a story, John chapter six, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and that's just the men, so there's way more than that. That's miraculous, okay? Then he walks on the water, also miraculous, amazing. The crowds are following him. I mean, they are, I mean, he is what we call in his rock star phase of ministry. It's like he's just filling stadiums everywhere he goes. But then he gets to the part about um, they're asking him for more bread like their ancestors had and the manna would come down and they would you know, gather the manna in the morning. And, and so they're asking him for bread and he says, I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. And then he goes into this whole part about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And he basically offends the whole crowd of people and even his you know, his, his disciples are kind of like, what in the world just happened here? That was a hard teaching, Jesus. And many of those people desert him at that point. And he spins around and he looks at his 12 and he's like, do you want to leave too? And here's what Peter said. I thought it was so brilliant. Peter says, where would we go? Because you alone have the words of life. The reason I tell you that story is that the greatest hindrance to you walking in newness of life is your belief that life is found in somewhere, someone other than Jesus Christ. That's the deciding point. When you have decided that the life that I really want, the life that my heart yearns for is not in the next thing that I could accomplish. It's not in the next dollar that I can make. It's not in that next relationship that maybe I can jump to. It's not in finally getting the acceptance or approval of these people over here. If you can just kind of stop yourself and recognize that you're actually being led down into enslave, enslavement again and say, no, 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 wait, wait. The life that I really want is found in Jesus. I've already located the source. Once you know that, then all of a sudden, you know where to go as you walk in newness of life. It's the deciding factor. You'll never be able to count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ and walk in the newness of life if you still believe that life is found in someone or something other than Jesus. The best antidote to cheap grace, to the scanner in the sky, is real grace. Real grace. 
to see Jesus as he truly is, crucified for sin once for all and fully alive forever. You have to decide. Is he your source or not? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.